Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. If you're a pro, you know that this is not efficient because you know there's a better way. There's also a better way to save. When pro customers buy building supplies in bulk at Lowe's, they save up to 20% every day. Buy in bulk and save up to 20% on concrete, gypsum, and gypsum accessories. At Lowe's, buy more, save more. Visit the Pro Desk or Lowe'sForPros.com for details. Discount applies to contractor pack items. Minimum purchase required, U.S. only. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with the bipartisan firm Purple Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with the firm Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, entertainment, and pop culture. Well, we're so excited to have John Cohen with SurveyMonkey here with us today. We've been shouting your name, John, sort of into the ether on a lot of our shows saying we need to get you on the show. So we're finally so excited that this day has come. You are on the show. Thank you so much for joining. Well, thank you. A long-time listener, first-time caller, as they say. <laughs> so you are the chief research officer for SurveyMonkey. What does that mean? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the, the role really has several different parts, and it's been evolving. I've been here for two and a half years now. But fundamentally, we get 3 million responses to surveys every day on the SurveyMonkey platform. So we have this tremendous opportunity to learn uh, best practices and create new uh, best practices that we can communicate uh, broadly to the world uh, based on the massive number of responses that we're getting to all types of surveys. And so kind of one is just a straightforward survey research endeavor with you know, tremendous raw material to do experimentation and to you know, create new learnings uh, for the industry. Um, second, we have a you know, research science uh, component of what we do, which is you know, how do you calibrate the data that we get in and want to put out to the world, and how should you know, customers of SurveyMonkey around the world do that themselves? You know, I come from very firmly in the framework of every form of data collection has its deficiencies, our job is about identifying those and ideally fixing them. So that's what the research science component of it does. And then there's a, a third segment that is you know, largely around customer segmentation and how to do that well, both for our company and to help uh, customers of SurveyMonkey, both free and those who do us the favor of paying us, um, can do that better. So those are kind of three of the bundles that fall under the research purview here at SurveyMonkey. Well, that's great. So it's a lot more than voting on what you want for your book club to read next or that sort of thing. I mean, really taking like a full-on data quality emphasis to it. Exactly. We're just trying not to be just a, uh, at least not only a uh, free or really inexpensive tool that people can collect, you know, what to bring to a barbecue, or I had used it several years ago to collect reminiscences from my parents' wedding anniversary, right? And, you know, kind of as we want to appeal, make the platform appeal to people like, you know, yourselves, you know, how do we, you know, build sophistication in without, you know, ruining the great simplicity that has made us a tool. So that all sounds very thorough and 
well thought out, John, but what does that mean for folks who are watching the election and looking for polls and wondering about the difference between online polls and telephone polls and automated polls? You know, what does yeah. that mean for 2016? Yeah, well, there's, there's a lot there. So um, bear with me and uh, certainly steer me as, as, as you'd like, as you think your listeners would, would like. But because so many people respond to SurveyMonkey surveys for their friends, for sent to them by, you know, uh, community and church organizations, by their employers, or by, you know, any you know, large number of organizations ar- around the world, we have almost accidentally a really great pool of respondents um, that, you know, based on the research that we've done, you know, over the past two and a half years with my team, you know, kind of is a wonderful um, opportunity to kind of ask a broad, not only large group of people, but a very diverse group of people, a series of questions. And so that's what we've been doing with our election work, both here in the U.S. and in the U.K., which is using this as the sample and then asking a series of, you know, voting and other questions, uh, depending on what we're interested in. You know, what's interesting is, you know, the Internet's answer to uh, the obvious and well-documented issues with telephone polling over the past couple of decades has been to create panels. And, you know, panels of people who are compensated um, to answer questions on a variety of topics. And panels are wonderful um, for a large number of uh, purposes, um, particularly in market research, but also in some parts of politics. And we at SurveyMonkey have created a panel. It has a unique uh, charitable incentive whereby people who sign up uh, to take surveys get 50 cents to a charity of their choice every time they take a survey. So, Panels are, are wonderful, but I also think they're rather limited. There was something wonderful, you know, for the last few decades about the random cross-sectional survey that was, you know, almost exclusively conducted on the telephone, although face-to-face and other modes exist as well. You know, what we have, um, by virtue of so many people using SurveyMonkey for so many different purposes, we have effectively a cross-sectional view of the American electorate, and we are doing um, random sampling on top of many of those surveys that are conducted on our platform. Just for some context, half a million new surveys every month are created and distributed on the SurveyMonkey platform. Again, those aren't by me, or I, mean, I do a few of those. Most of those are by you know people in colleges, people you know organizations, people just trying to you know collect what to bring to a dinner from their friends. And so half a million new surveys go out every month, plus all the ones that exist on the platform. And that's why we end up with 3 million responses a day. So we're doing um, random sampling on the top of that. And then we, we don't infer any demographics. We ask the questions that we need to do CISL um, weighting. And that's, that's our approach. It's, it's, you know, kind of in, in the world of black boxes and model-based uh, approaches to getting public opinion information, we are, you know, extraordinarily straightforward and we just have you know certain key assets that allow us to do it in this way so so what's your response to folks who say well the telephone is just simply the best way to do it that's how we've always done it that's the only way you can guarantee that every person has an equal chance of being in your sampling frame and if you're online then you're missing folks who don't have access to the internet or only use the internet once in a while they're older or they have to go to the library or those kinds of things so, so two things, just for a uh, frame of reference. One, I spent several decades, or a couple decades, I should say, uh, doing telephone polls, and I know them extraordinarily well, and they're a tremendous resource. Um, second is the idea that 
you're talking about internet polling versus phone polling today in 2016 is an extraordinarily different conversation than it would the one we would have had a decade ago or even five years ago. Just the, the world has changed both in terms of you know what mobile phones have done to the telephone industry and internet penetration in every country, at least in the U.S. and the U.K., where we have done uh, quite successful uh, work around elections. So it's a different conversation. I think the on on its face. You can no longer say that Internet doesn't cover the population of interest, particularly among voters. But on the first point, in terms of, you know, kind of my great affinity, which remains for telephone polls, telephone polls are wonderful. The issue is that to do them well, given the, you know, the public's move toward, you know, cutting cords to being mobile only, um, we have a situation where they're so prohibitively expensive for almost every use case that we used to put um, polls to um, in the political arena, that they just, you know, they essentially priced out most analysts and most organizations' ability to pay for them. So they can work quite well, but they become a luxury item. And my my base view is that, you know, public opinion is too important um, to not only understanding elections, but to lots of other endeavors that we can't, simply can't afford to not do it well. And phone polls aren't not universally available enough um, to do to provide that need. Well, what you call uh, a luxury item or cost prohibitive, I might call uh, quality strategic consulting, John. <laughs> that is oh, you know, very important. <laughs> and, 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 and absolutely very important. It's just there, there's so many use cases and there's so much demand that you know, high quality telephone poles simply can't keep up. And that's not you know, to disparage them in the slightest. There's a huge role for you know, what they can play. And after all, you know, the census is not done on telephone poll, but that's a high quality $20 billion poll um, you know, of sorts. And so I, I think that we are in an era where you know, the, the phrase that kind of swept through the APOR community over the past five years has been fit for purpose. Right. We have we used to have one way that we could approach uh, a variety of research topics, and now we have a multitude of ways. And telephone surveys serve you know a, a slice of that market, but more and more um, we need to look to online surveys to you know fill more of that, a bigger slice of the pie, if you will. And the question is, how do you do online surveys well? And that's the big issue here. You know, the, for, for too long, people have said. Well, look at this chart showing the decline of telephone response rates. Therefore, you know, online is better. And that simply wasn't the case um, when the argument was made. At whatever the method or whatever the approach that you do, you take to solving a research question has to stand on its own. The merits have to be clear. It's not just because there are, you know, well-known and currently fixable, although at great expense, uh, issues with telephone poles doesn't mean that anything goes. Right. So also, you know, we've had a lot of guests on the show who've argued that actually lower response rates in telephone service doesn't actually account for error in telephone polls. That that actually, you know, there's a massive drop in response rates, but uh, telephone polls still do a pretty decent job of predicting elections as well. That's absolutely true. And and that's absolutely true, you know, kind of, you know, in the particular case of elections, but it may not always be true. And that is why you have to continually test the methods. I mean, there was, it was wonderful when for, you you mentioned at the start of the question about the probability of selection, 
the, the great benefit there is from being able to calculate that in, in a probability sample. Well, th that was wonderful for the 30 plus years where telephones, you know, kind of did offer that, where there was sufficient coverage and we knew, um, you know, the number of telephones in households and we knew enough, enough that we could actually calculate that. You know, there are many who argue that we are past that point. And, you know, while response rates are not everything, they are something. And we have to ultimately take a leap from a small number of people that we've interviewed on the phone or online or even in person to a larger uh, population. And how we do that projection is essential. I think that we need new um we need a new theoretical understanding of kind of how quality public opinion is generated. So tell us a little bit about your work with NBC and your regular tracking poll. I mean, if yeah. there's any concern about whether or not online polling is good or bad, I mean, ultimately your polling for NBC very much tracks with what other types of methodologies, other outlets are all basically showing the same basic pattern of what's going on in the election. I mean, you can use that as a data point. But tell us about what you're working on with NBC. Sure. So we have a relationship with NBC that's been going on for, gosh, I think well over a year now. And what we do um, is do regular political and other policy-oriented surveys uh, with them. The weekly tracking poll is one that we launched, gosh, at the beginning of 2016, I believe, and will carry through the election and beyond. And that is to deliver you know, a weekly snapshot of what's going on, um, the ups and downs politically, but also because we are interviewing uh, around 10,000 or more voters every week, there's the ability to really dive in and, and dig into subgroups that you know, you're fundamentally limited you know, uh, you can't access you know, when you're doing you know, polls of a couple hundred or a thousand. And so what do you see as some of the big trends in your polling in terms of the, I mean, not just that Clinton is more up than down, but not by a massive margin. What else besides that underlying pattern are you finding in your polls? Well, one of the interesting things that emerged um, last week and kind of, you know, I should say emerged is, you know, kind of we focused on it anew uh, last week was just the role that, you know, the issues that people are paying attention to uh, play out in terms of the voter preferences. And we spent so much time talking about the, the you know, certainly in advance of the, the conventions around party unity and, you know, kind of how that's, you know, played out over the course of the primaries as they were up and down and then ultimately concluded. But you know, looking at what issues are on people's minds is, you know, of foremost importance. We look at, you know, the Republican convention this week that's all about safety uh, for the country. And you look at terrorism voters, voters who call out terrorism as the number one issue uh, in the country, you know, go for Donald Trump by more than a 50 point margin. Whereas you look at foreign policies, take, take a slightly different angle on what may be a broader national security uh, range of concerns. You look at foreign policy and the former Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, has a you know a small advantage there. So you take framing issues from foreign policy, you know, to terrorism, and then you look at the economy and the you know, healthcare and education and a range of others that are you know, that may bubble up uh, between now and election day, and really dig in on those. And you know, when you can do that with you know many thousands of cases every week, it starts to be a clearer picture. Um, so tell us what's next. I mean, so you have all this data and you have a new cool tool. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited to 
talk about it is something I've been you know, kind of thinking about for a really long time. And in, in the context of SurveyMonkey, which is a, a platform where people can do, you know, easy to now increasingly advanced uh, surveys of whatever they want. What we've done here with SurveyMonkey election tracking is create a platform where pollsters can do things a lot more quickly and do more things. Two of the things that have bugged me for a long time when I was, you know, at ABC News and the Washington Post and then briefly at the Pew Research Center is, you know, most of the time is spent, uh, an analyst time is spent producing data from, you know, kind of, you know, sending it out for waiting to, you know, cross tabbing to doing the analysis. And when you do that on deadline, you're left with, you know, only the ability to do a, you know, kind of a, to skim through the top line numbers and then dig into a couple tried and true cross tabs and write a story. And that's, that's limiting. And the second limiting thing is around the number of cases you have to work with. You know, I think you're, when you take a poll of a thousand people and you, you know, cut it by men and women, and then you cut it again by age, and then you do it by education, and you end up with, you know, making extremely large uh, statements or, you know, ideally on um, very few cases. And so what we've done with election tracking is take the more than 10,000 people we're interviewing every week. We've already interviewed more than five, sorry, 500,000 uh, since we started this uh, last year and plan on interviewing more than 2 million over the course of the whole campaign. And what we've done with this platform is turn it over to uh, people at trade associations and you know t- some of the top pollsters in the country to give them a platform to slice and dice. So effectively what it does is it's an online tool that you know consolidates our data. The the default view is a weekly roll up, you know, of the 10,000 or so cases that have a you know straightforward, you know, clickable banner that you can go through and look at the cross tab. So, you know, there's no reading the top line, flipping through uh, the digital equivalent of the three ring binder with the banners. You see it all on the screen and then you cross tab it. You, you can filter it at the state level. And we, you know, the whole thing is weighted nationally, but when you click on California, for instance, it will actually apply California weights to that subset of data and you will get that, you know, state level view. And that'll be true for all 50 states. And you can also pull back and ingest more data into a current view. So for instance, we do get enough data every week that a California sample weighted by California as the platform will do, will give you access to that state. But, you know, we won't have enough interviews in Wyoming in a given week. So you, you can go back and pull in a month's worth of data, you know, at the click of the button and weight those by Wyoming and get a clear view of what's happening there. So this is with your NBC weekly tracking. What data are you using for this? So we're using using, um, some of those data, but also more that we're collecting. So we're collecting a bunch of data that we're, you know, assembling in syndicated fashion. And then we're also providing customers the ability to customize questions on top of that. So, there's no other platform that I know of that if you wanted to ask five questions about an email scandal, for instance, or a VP pick in Ohio, we allow that because we are because you know, we have enough cases over a certain period of time in every state. We're effectively allowing subscribers to the syndicated data access to asking customized questions in either nationally or in the 50 states. Wow. So yeah. this takes, you know, I'm old enough to remember when you could call a couple different vendors and get your two or three questions added to a national telephone omnibus. And then if you paid extra, you get the data file so you could look at some of the subgroups yourself, right? This is kind of like that, but on steroids. That's right. 
Wow. Well, that's pretty exciting. And yeah. And so and so this is something that is it just aimed at political professionals or are folks who do public affairs type work or is this for corporate brand work, too? You know, this is a combination of, you know, my own career has um, wended back and forth between technology and uh, polling and, and politics. And so this is a kind of a culmination of, you know, what I've been interested in, what I've wanted as an analyst all this time was to not stress over whether the crosstab was run right, but focus on the analysis and the hypotheses that I have. And so, it's, so, so that's where we are. So in terms of, you know, this is much more about kind of what we wanted to build, what made sense within the SurveyMonkey framework more than kind of like, here's our target market. I think it enables a lot of work across a lot of different um, dimensions. And so I'm excited to share that. Unlike SurveyMonkey, you know, which is aimed at, you know, the, the general population and has built on a freemium model. I mean, this is aimed at professionals. This is aimed at you, mm-hmm. um, you know, to kind of facilitate the, you know, high, um, level strategic work that you can do and just giving you a framework to make that a lot more efficient. I mean, this is really incredible. I mean, you know, again, I mean, a few, obviously it wasn't that long ago and still obviously is true now. I mean, just the programming of all this stuff is complicated. It's not as simple as you would think. We're not there yet in our, I guess, our abilities technically as a people to just be able to say, <laughs> you know, I want this run by women and have it just appear magically. It takes a lot of man hours just to integrate all the data and make sure all the, all the different data sets are lined up properly and the programming yeah. so you can easily do this yourself without being a programmer on the, you know, on the front end, you can just, you know, be able to click and, you know, run it yourself. I mean, this must have been an enormous amount of work. It's a huge amount of effort. And so although I've had some of these ideas percolating for a long time, it it took being in the Silicon Valley and having access to SurveyMonkey engineers to get it done, right? this This is a huge task. Uh, that you know, kind of wasn't you know accomplishable other than you know here because we have so many engineers working on the survey issues for you know the past 17 years. I mean, it's a 17-year-old company. It's only recently focused on what we can do given the scale and diversity of respondents to the platform. And you know, this is this is a new iteration of it, but it took the engineering prowess that was here. So do you have the capability to match folks to their actual addresses so you could see what congressional district they live in or any other kind of geography about them? You know, you know we don't do that. I mean, um, you know, there are a range of privacy issues around that. I think we get sufficient information from the cross-sectional approach. I will say there's some amount of matching, not at the individual level, but in terms of lookalike that we've um, worked with, you know, Catalyst and others on that, you know, produces some extraordinarily interesting results, some of which will be coming out in the, in, in the, in a few days or today. I don't know actually when they're going to publish. <laughs> um, but, you know, no, I mean, I'm, not, I'm no longer at the news organization, so I can't actually say I don't have control over that. But, you know, kind of there, there, there's a lot that we can do and one can do when you combine, you know, responses at the scale at which we have responses, even in the aggregate with the voter file. So, well, that all sounds great. And so tell us a little bit about the name. What's the name of your tool? How can people find out about it? What else yeah. should people be following to know what you guys are up to this cycle? Yeah. So um, it's the new uh, tool is called SurveyMonkey um, Election Tracking. And so Mark Blumenthal, who I think has been on your show. Is our, the I think he was our first guest. Oh, wow. First or second so, guest. So, so Mark is our head of election polling and he's, he's still Washington based. So we have a a bi-coastal um, thing going with election tracking. So he and I um, headed this up and it's online and you, know, you can contact either of us for more information. 
and then we've just we've we've put a number of uh, stuff out there, and you'll see more of it, um, including you know, when we get you know, the shareable links, we'll get them out there. But it, it is you know at the moment, it's a tool for professionals and you know people to geek out over kind of the massive technological achievement, and you know then we'll have a, we'll have a fur- further iterations of it later as we get further deeper into the cycle. So, can you talk a little bit before we wrap up about your personal career tra- trajectory? I mean, you've been at places where we've had folks from all your former employers on the yeah. show, Kristen, who couldn't make it because she was having technical problems is now uh, analyst for ABC where you've been. Uh, we had Rich yep. Morin, who was the polling director, I think before you, I don't know if there was yep. someone between him and you. I'm, I, that, I don't remember. Straight from him to me. I still have a cell phone number. Oh, good. <laughs> well, so he was one of our guests uh, a year ago. And, uh, and at Pew, we've had Michael Dimmick and Scott Keeter on from Pew plus uh, and Courtney Kennedy. We've had quite a few folks from Pew yeah. on. So tell us a little bit about your trajectory and advice for all all the young aspiring pollsters that are listening to our show. Well, I've, I've had so many jobs now. I'm either quite old or I can't hold a job. Um, but I'll, uh, you know, I'll talk, I'll talk, I'll talk through a little bit of it. I mean, I, I you know, just super briefly, I was a uh, history major and I actually learned programming working for what was then called Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture. And that programming that I got, um, programming experience I got has been tremendously valuable throughout my career. Of course, with election tracking, we're trying to make that irrelevant in the industry. But you know, for the last you know bunch of years, the programming that I had done early on uh, for state tax systems was invaluable in terms of you know uh, that I needed to wrangle to be an effective uh, polling analyst. Um, I, after Anderson, I went to graduate school in political science at Berkeley and kind of got the taste of doing surveys. And I'd always been very interested in political history and you know, studying surveys was uh, part of that process. And when I, I actually got an internship while I was a grad student at the Public Policy Institute of California, um, changing what had been a quarterly survey into a, a monthly um, over time. And so I worked there while I was in graduate school. I did get the, the technology itch um, around a, one of the earlier dot-com uh, booms and kind of went to a technology company where I kind of boned up more there on technological skills. And then um, very, a variety of things happened, including the, the world basically imploding that I, I went back into the survey research full-time at PPIC uh, doing California work. I did a lot of survey work around the um, recall election in 2003. And then I moved to New York to ABC News um, to work with Gary Langer and that famous crew out there. And um, then in 2006, I moved down to the Washington Post to be its director of polling. And then had my fun at Pew, which was a intense and short experience, but wonderful, and then out to Monkey. Well, that's great. So, you know, so th- that's actually more moves than the average person in polling, but that shows, I guess, you have a a political campaign person's job sensibility rather than a pollster's sensibility because a lot of campaign folks move around from place to place. That's pretty typical. Uh, I was I was at the Washington Post for seven and a half years, so that's you know so part of it's just my age. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that too. Um, so th- you know, what do you think about the future of the industry? Is this you know? Do you feel like the industry's you know, booming? Do you feel that it's going in the right direction? Do you feel like, you know, the number of polls means that there's going to be some sort of backlash or it's too yeah. tight of a market? I mean, what are your thoughts? Because we have a lot of grad students, young uh, researchers who listen to the show and write us. What are you, what's your take? Oh, I'm 
really excited about the future of this industry. I mean, I've, I've, I've had the same frame on it for a couple decades now, which is, you know, it's a technological issue that we face, right? People don't want to talk to us on the phone. They don't think it's hard to get them online. It's hard to know who they are online. But technical challenges have technological solutions. I mean, I'm, I'm in the center, I'm working here in Palo Alto in the center of people trying to change, you know, the world and, you know, very complicated parts of our world. It's rather straightforward from a survey perspective if we can get a few things right. And so I think that there's now enough intellectual firepower you know, focused on doing things well online as opposed to fighting what's coming online versus, you know, the, the old stale battle between phone and online, I think, has reached this new phase where we have, you know, the smartest people in the business now working on how we do it online well, which is a tremendous uh, move. I do think that, you know, the, the other thing that excites me, you know, beyond kind of that effort that's being made here at Monkey and but lots of other places as well, is this, you know, getting this, getting it right is extremely important. You know, I think that it's, it's I don't want to live in a world where it's more nihilistic. It's like, well, you know, just because we've gone online, anything goes. And I want to work with, you know, all of my former colleagues, you know, plus many more of my friends at APOR and elsewhere on how do we reestablish some kind of industry-wide understanding of what makes a high-quality survey. And I think that's, you know, incredibly important. That's not something that I can declare or people smarter than I can declare. It's like that will come through consensus and the industry organizations that exist and maybe some, you know, new arrangements. But we have to focus on that and the much is at stake to get it wrong. Great. So last thing, how can people find you on Twitter, which is where all smart dialogue ends up, of course. <laughs> and, 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 the, and it's alternative. Um, I, uh, I am, I am at JC polls. Great. Okay. Well, thank you so much, John. And, uh, and we really appreciate that we can finally get you on and, and hopefully you can come, uh, come back on again sometime before, uh, November. Anytime. Thank you so much. Take care.